All right, well, beautiful singing. I love Christmas music. So it's, uh, thank you, Derek, for picking out a couple good Christmas hymns for us. So if you have not met you, my name is Aaron, and I'm the preaching pastor here. And uh, delighted with, uh, that you're with us on this um, cool, snowy uh, December morning. So if you have a Bible with you, if you'd open up to the book of Jonah. Today, our text of study is going to come from Jonah chapter 2. So if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be um, Bibles on the pews. If you want to find Jonah there, things like 451, is that right? Yeah, 451 is where that's there. Um, and as you open up your Bibles there, please keep them open. So after I read through it, we're going to pray, ask for the Lord's help, and then we're going to actually get back into the text and just walk through it um, throughout um, the sermon. Okay, so Jonah chapter 2, I'm going to read the entire thing. And then, as mentioned, I'll pray, ask for the Lord's blessing on our time, and then we will get to work. So please hear the word of the Lord. That's what the scripture says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet... I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. We thank you for your word. Lord, I do pray that you would speak to us through your word uh, this morning. That's why we're here, God. We want you to hear from you. We want to hear you speak through your word. So Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in this time. For the glory of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I feel like I mention this every year at this time, but I'm actually going to mention it again. So this weekend has become one of my favorite weekends of the year. And this weekend is one of my favorite weekends of the year, not simply because this is the weekend we do our annual bow hunt, although that certainly has a play and why this is one of my favorite weekends of the year. I love the bow hunt. And uh, kids, I hope uh, you're ready. This will be the biggest bow hunt that we have had yet. I bought a bunch more bows uh, for this year. But the primary reason why this weekend is one of my favorite weekends of the year is because it was on this weekend that Red Village Church was officially born, where Red Village Church received her first church members, uh, December 5th, 2010, which is now hard to believe 13 years ago. So as a church, uh, we have made it into teenagehood. So now, if you're not familiar with some of the backstory of our church, let me just give you a little details on that. So the end of January of 2010, Red Village Church at that point actually wasn't even a church. It was just a, a, a very small Bible study that was started up. Bible study started up with the hope, the prayer, and the intention of one day hopefully growing to becoming a church. And from when the first Bible study was started over the course of the next several months, just little, little, little Bible study grew little by little. And little by little, also grew along more and more in the Bible study, who latched onto this hope that we had from the beginning, with the hope, the prayer, the intention of moving towards officially becoming a church, uh, where we have things like some organizational structures, uh, take on building responsibilities that the Lord has entrusted to his church, uh, where there would be members who have not only committed themselves to the Lord, but also committed to each other to be the church. 
mentioned since I was 13 years ago. 13 years ago, that hope, the prayer, the intention of that little Bible study became a reality. That by the grace of God, Red Village Church was officially born, where a group of us signed the church covenant for the first time. So I'm just going to read this for you here. We're going to read it actually again later, but let me read this to you here. This is uh, first signed um, December 5th, 2010. It says, Having as we trust been brought by divine grace, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to give ourselves to him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly, joyfully, covenant with each other, will diligently, consistently prayed for Red Village Church, its members, its leaders. We will seek to build up the members of Red Village Church in love and unity. We will willingly hold others accountable as well as we held accountable ourselves by the members and leaders of Red Village Church. We are together with great passion, zeal, urgency to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to all the nations of the earth. We eagerly look for ways to serve the body of Red Village Church through the use of spiritual gifts and acts of service. We with a cheerful heart financially give to Red Village Church through our tithes and our offerings. We will only follow the leadership of Red Village Church as the leaders follow the Lord Jesus and his written word. We will only move from this place as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Our vexology is this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Now, there's a few different things I could point out to you from that covenant, but today I just want to point out one thing to you. Uh, this covenant was first signed 13 years ago this weekend, and as mentioned, we're going to actually have signed um, at the end of the service today. It really is this covenant. It's just a covenant to simply live out the normal Christian life. To be a faithful, committed Christian. To do the very normal things that God would have us to do. Really, every line within the covenant. This is, this is just normal Christian life. Now, as I say that as a church family, from the day we were first were born, we have had large aspirations. Aspirations to be used by the Lord to take the message of Jesus Christ to the very ends of the earth itself. But you know, by grace, we continue to see the Lord fulfill through us, which is so encouraging, so humbling. And by the way, a reminder of one of our old interns, Robert Smith. So he planted a church in Tennessee. Today is their second anniversary, where they signed a church, a church covenant very similar to us. So we have to celebrate uh, with him. So however, in those large aspirations and desires that we've always had within that, we just have strived just to be content, to just be a normal church who does the normal, ordinary Christian things. Knowing that if we're found in these normal, ordinary Christian things, that God would bless that. And God would use just the ordinary Christian life in ways to bring glory to himself in ways that we might not ever think or expect, which has certainly proven true from where we were 13 years ago, where we've seen God use us in ways I don't think any of us 13 years ago would have expected. Now, I say all this to you this morning, not to simply remind you that we're celebrating 13 years as a church today, 13 years of striving to live the normal Christian life. But I say this to you also to set up for our text of study today in Jonah chapter 2 which on one hand is a very abnormal, unique passage, which we'll talk about more throughout this sermon. But yet, at the same time, as unique as this passage is, it really does reflect the principles of the normal Christian life, particularly when it comes to the normal Christian life of turning to God and repentance and faith, which, which actually is one of the desires we have in our covenant, reflecting being accountable and holding others accountable uh, ourselves, right? to live a life of repentance and faith. So now before we get into the text, just a reminder where we left off in our study a couple weeks back, which does detail a lot of abnormal uh, information. And we see uh, this started out in Jonah, that the Lord came to Jonah, who was a prophet of God, which you can read more about in 2 Kings. And God came to his prophet to give him a preaching assignment, which in sort was an assignment to go to the evil city of Nineveh, so that God could bring about revival in that land. 
which you would think would have been an assignment that would excite any preacher. However, as Jonah received this assignment, he quickly decided that preaching assignment was not for him. And he decided this was not for him, not because like, he doubted that God was going to be at work through him in his preaching. Rather, Jonah actually knew God was going to work in Nineveh. And God, or Jonah actually believed that God indeed could bring about revival even to this evil city. But the rub in chapter 1 was that Jonah didn't want that revival to happen. As you remember, Jonah did not want the Lord to do a gracious work in Nineveh to bring them to repentance and faith. And Jonah didn't want that to happen because of how much hatred he had towards the Ninevites, where he had like just like deep bitterness towards them. And because of his hatred, because of his bitterness, Jonah didn't want God to show any type of mercy, grace, compassion, kindness to that city. Rather, as you remember, for Jonah, he wanted Nineveh to face the fire of God's judgment. He wanted them to burn. So as Jonah decided, he was not going to walk in this clear command of God. We see that he decided he was going to get as far away as he could from that command, far away as he could from the presence of God. So Jonah headed south from where he was to a port city called Joppa, where he paid a fare to enter into a ship that was headed to a city called Tarshish, which was a city that most scholars agree was actually in the exact opposite location or direction of Nineveh. So Nineveh, this was in modern-day Turkey, 500 or so miles to the east of Israel. Tarshish seemed to be in Spain, a good 1,500 miles or so to the west of Israel. This, this is about as far west in the ancient world that Jonah could have traveled. So in our study, we learn as Jonah got into the boat, as he headed towards Tarshish, we see he actually wasn't going to get away from the presence of the Lord, which was his intention. As so we read last time, that the great hound of heaven came after Jonah while he was at sea. And the great hound of heaven came for Jonah by hurling a great storm on the sea, where in the storm it became clear to all in the ship that the great storm was happening because the Lord was chasing Jonah. Yet, as the storm raged, as you remember last time, the Lord was at work in multiple ways. I'm going to give you just three, just by way of reminder from the previous sermon. So first, in our text last time, the Lord was at work through the great sea at storm, as he brought pagan sailors on the ship into saving faith in God. So you may remember our text landed last time where these once pagan sailors were having basically a worship service on the boat as they were worshiping the Lord. Second, we learned last time the Lord is at work through the great storm to prove that he has sovereign power over all things, which he put on display. Not only did he have the power to cause the great storm to come upon the sea, but God also had the power to quiet the storm which the Lord did as the sailors threw Jonah into the sea, which was the Lord's desire for them to do that. And as Jonah hit the water, the sovereign Lord in his power quieted the sea. As the sailors fulfilled the desires the Lord had to discipline Jonah in the quiet sea, to further prove his sovereign power, you may remember that the Lord then appointed a great fish, possibly a whale, to swallow up Jonah, which maybe is the most famous scene in this little book, or at least one of them. Third, from our text last time and into our text today. The Lord is at work in this great storm, not just to chase Jonah, but to catch Jonah. To catch Jonah in ways he's brought him back to repentance and faith. Meaning, the great hound of heaven wasn't chasing or disciplining Jonah because he was like bored in heaven and he was like looking for something to do. He wasn't chasing Jonah because he was like cruel. Or maybe the Lord had his own bitterness and his own heart to work through as he chased Jonah. Rather, the Lord chased Jonah in order to lovingly bring Jonah back into his presence. The very best thing for 
his prophet, which the Lord did through repentance and faith, the normal Christian life. God bringing his people into his presence through repentance and faith. So yes, no doubt, details surrounding Jonah are unique. In the end, I think we see a great model in our text today of this normal Christian life. Normal Christian life that I mentioned, we've been striving to walk in together as a church for the last 13 years. The normal Christian life that we must continue to strive to walk in, however long the Lord allows our church to live. Okay, so that is an introduction. Look back with me at the text, starting in verse 1. We read that, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. He's praying to the Lord from the belly of the fish. Now, let me mention here, there's a little interesting discussion throughout church history on when Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. Uh, there are some that think that maybe perhaps Jonah was in the belly for some time, and the longer he sat in the belly of the fish, he finally came to senses and repented, which is very possible. However, others think, myself included, think that Jonah, as he was going like down into the belly, this is when he was praying. You know, basically, immediately as this is all happening in an instant, Jonah, what we see in our text here is they crying out, crying out to the Lord as quickly as this is all happening. And one of the reasons why others, myself included, think this is the case is we actually believe that Jonah died in the belly of the fish. So he wasn't just like hanging out in the belly of the great fish alive for three days, you know, just kind of waiting around to see what would happen next, so then he decides to pray. Rather, the belly of the fish, we actually think, was Jonah's tomb for his dead body. Not just a metaphorical tomb, a metaphorical picture of death, but this is actually was death. Now, as I said to you, Scripture doesn't explicitly tell us if Jonah physically died in the fish or if it's just more of a picture of death, which certainly was at minimal that. So I tell you this more of a point of interest for you to think upon. And as you think on this, just do so knowing that the point of the text remains the same either way. Okay, keep going. Verse 2. As Jonah prayed to the Lord, we see a great prayer of repentance uh, written like in a poem-like fashion. A prayer that we see in the text, Jonah cried out. He calls out to the Lord, calling out in his distress, which this certain situation certainly was a stress-filled situation, a stress-filled situation that we may must remember that Jonah put himself in. I mean, for us, can you, can you imagine the scene for him? Right, the great hound of heaven was chasing him. There's this great storm. There's this ship. The sailors are all in panic. There's almost like a business meeting that took place in chapter one, trying to figure out what to do in this panic where Jonah was like physically lifted up, tossed into the raging sea. Then there's this great fish, like I mentioned, perhaps a whale came and swallowed him up. Right? This is a stressful scene for Jonah. A stressful scene, as mentioned, he brought on himself through his own bitter heart that rejected God's good command. Friends, sin always leads to misery, including the misery of distress. In our text, as Jonah was filled with distress, he gives us a good and right model that we are to do in this time of need. And we see Jonah turn back to the Lord, calling out to his name. In our text, Jonah finally stopped running from the Lord. And now he's running back to the Lord. And as Jonah called out to the Lord, we see that the Lord answered him. Which, by the way, is a promise that the Lord gives to us. That when we walk in repentance of faith, he will hear us. Right? The Lord does not turn a deaf ear to his people when they come to him. Rather, the Lord promises that he will respond. He will hear. He will answer when we walk in repentance and faith. Keep going. We read that the Lord answered Jonah, even as Jonah was in the belly of Sheol. Even there, the Lord heard his voice. 
Now, the belly of Sheol in the Old Testament, this is basically like the realm of the dead, where in the belly of Sheol, the people of Old Testament almost seem to be like in this like holding tank, where they're separated from the loving presence of God as they waited for their judgment to come. By the way, perhaps ironically, that's like Jonah's desire in chapter 1. Right? His desire was to get away from the presence of the Lord. We read that in chapter 1 and verses 4, as well as in chapter 10. Right? He's seeking to flee from the presence of the Lord. So now here in our text, Jonah, he basically gets what he wanted. And he's now in the belly of Sheol. And back to the Old Testament, even though Sheol is referred to actually a good number of times, there's a lot of uncertainty throughout church history and the exact nature of Sheol. As I mentioned, it kind of feels like some type of holding tank for the souls of the dead, but even that doesn't quite feel right on exactly what it was. You know, unfortunately, we don't have time here for me to talk through all the different ideas throughout church history that have come up concerning Sheol, the nature of Sheol, the challenges that come with the, all the different ideas. Uh, if that interests you, please talk to me. You know, I'd love to connect more with you at a different time. For our purposes today, the most important thing to see is that Jonah, he's in the realm of the dead, a place separated from the loving presence of God. He finds himself in a place of gloom, a place of despair, a place of distress. Yet as Jonah was in the belly of Sheol, in distress, in desperation, like he cries out to the Lord. And as the Lord, or Jonah cries out to the Lord, the Lord graciously hears Jonah's voice. And as the Lord hears his voice, we see he responds back to Jonah throughout the text in kindness and mercy to bring him back into his loving presence. By the way, as a way of reminder, the kindness, the mercy of God, remember, that's the very thing Jonah did not want the Ninevites to have. Yet now, he himself, he's in desperate need for it. Verse 3, if you want to take your eyes there. It's part of the sign of Jonah moving into repentance and faith. We see that in his prayer, that in the belly of Sheol, that Jonah can see the hand of God on him in the situation. He can see how it was the hound of heaven who was really the one who lovingly hurled him into the sea. In our text, for you, Lord, you're the one who cast me into the deep. For it is you, Lord, who hurled me into the heart of the sea. It was you, Lord, who caused the floodwaters to surround me. It was your waves, your billows, O Lord, who passed over me. I think this here, this tone in verse 3, is not just Jonah understanding the Lord's disciplining hand on him, I think this is actually Jonah, like, humbly accepting the Lord's good discipline. At least to me in verse 3. This is Jonah seeing, like, the consequences of his sin. Which I think verse 4 actually further illustrates. As Jonah recognized, understood, accepted how his sin drove him away from God's sight. I keep saying it, it was Jonah's sin that brought this on. In this text, he's not like an innocent victim of a distressful situation which I think you could argue was true for the sailors in the previous passage. But here, today, Jonah, he's not the victim. Like He, he brought this on himself. To say it again, this isn't the Lord being cruel or unloving. This is Jonah. He did this. His sin, his disobedience, drove him from the sight of the Lord. By the way, maybe on a side note, accepting realities like this seems to be increasingly harder and harder for us to do as society. Like, we're almost trained to always play, like, a victim card. So, no doubt, yes, at times, there is a reality that we're just victims, but not always. At times, it's on us. We have to humbly feel the weight of our own sin and even understand the consequences that come from sin. 
rather than just trying to pass the blame to others. While there's many problems with playing the victim card, when we're the ones actually who bring distress upon ourselves at the forefront of the problem, it's actually keeping us from getting help from the Lord. Like when we hold on to this victim card, we're holding, actually holding under a sin rather than like humbly confessing it and giving it to the Lord. When we do that, we just keep ourselves in places of misery rather than find healing. Keep going to the text. Not only did Jonah humbly accept the consequence of sin, we see he understood that his only hope was actually in the Lord. That indeed the Lord would be gracious and merciful to bring healing, forgiveness to his sin. So the end of verse 5, don't take your eyes there. Jonah, he's like further crying out to the Lord, doing so by declaring, yet, yet I will look upon your holy temple. Which in the Old Testament, the holy temple, this is a place where the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The holy temple is a physical symbol of God's presence with his people. So in this great prayer of repentance and faith, friends, look to see where Jonah humbly turns. He turns to the hound of heaven. He understood that the Lord was his only hope. Yes, he was a sinner. Yet, he could turn to the Lord. And by the way, the word yet in our text, that is such an incredibly encouraging word for us. The temptation that is there when the hound of heaven is chasing us is to keep running or to try to run faster. My friends, that's such a mistake. And first of all, we can, we can never outrun the Lord. That's a foolish, futile thought and idea. Second, we need to remember that the hound of heaven doesn't chase us to crush us, but he chases us to save us, to bring us back into his loving presence, into his steadfast love. Friends, he will do whatever he deems necessary to do so. Going for Jonah, a great storm, a great sea, the belly of Sheol. But in the text, in verse 4, Jonah stands. It's the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives hope. It's futile to be on the run. So he finally stops and he turns. He sees the Lord who is on his holy temple. Keep going, verse 5 further understanding, further acceptance of his sin, the consequences of his sin. Jonah prayed how the waters closed in over me to take my life, how the deep surrounded me, how the weeds trapped about my head at the roots of the mountain, how I went down into the land whose bars closed upon me forever, which is Jonah further describing the stressful situation he was in, further admitting the hopeless predicament he put himself in as he's trying to flee from the Lord and his presence, we see this, Jonah is clearly in a state of misery. But then we read the end of verse 6, another encouraging, yet, yet, despite all this, despite all of my sin, yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Yet it is you, Lord, who gives life to the dead. And friends, these two sets of yet in your text, this is such good news for Jonah end to us. Even though we have sinned, even though we have run from the presence of God, even though we have put ourselves in places of distress, in places of debt, yet God has compassion and grace and mercy on his people. 
such compassion, such grace, such mercy. Not only does he lovingly bring his people out of the pit, he lovingly brings his people into his presence. Friends, could there be better news than this? That God loves sinners in such a way that he gives them life, that he invites sinners into his presence as a good father. Keep going, verse 7. And further testified, when my life was fainting away, a further indication that Jonah is like humbly understanding the consequences of the sin. In that time, as my life was fainting away, in that time, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Right? He's, again, sign of repentance and faith. Jonah is continuing to go to the Lord and his presence in his holy temple so he could find healing in his time of need. Keep going, verse 8. Further keeping with living a life of repentance and faith, Jonah acknowledged that those who pay regard to vain idols, they are forsaking the hope of steadfast love. Friends, it's a miserable, hopeless pursuit to look to anything outside of the Lord himself. In the end, any look to anything outside of the Lord himself is a look of vain, void of hope, removed of steadfast love. Verse 9. When we live a life of repentance and faith, friends, we can live a life now with a voice filled with joyful thanksgiving. A life where we can bring our worship to the Lord. The Old Testament context of Jonah was through the offering of sacrifices, which in the text he is now vowing he would do. By the way, a reminder, this is what I actually saw the once pagan sailors do in the previous text as well. Remember how they came to repentance and faith in the one true and living God? Their hearts were driven to fearful worship of God by the offering of sacrifices and the giving of vows. Right? The work of God through repentance, faith, brought the sailors to faith. Now here in verse 9, very similar thing the Lord is now doing to keep Jonah in the faith. He's now drawing Jonah back into joyful worship, which we know this is where life, joy, purpose is found. It's worshiping God. Now, even though there are clear differences when we are justified by God at the moment we first believe, which is true for the sailors in our text last time, and when we're being sanctified by God, which is how God is at work to grow us in that belief, which he's doing here in Jonah, repentance and faith, worship, these are all elements present in both justification, sanctification. They both are the intended outcome. This is how God is normally at work to bring us to salvation and to keep us in salvation, which is actually how Jonah ends his prayer in verse 9, by testifying that salvation indeed belongs to the Lord. It's all of God's work. The Lord, he is the one who saves. He is the one who continues to save. The Lord, he is the one who promises to hold us fast even as we try to run from his presence. Friends, that is such an encouragement. God is the one who saves. This is why we do not boast. Only the Lord can save. This is why he is worthy of all of our worship. He gets all of the glory, all of the credit. It is all his work. Father, answer text in today. It was perhaps the other most famous scene of the book of Jonah. 
once again, the sovereign Lord using the sovereign power, speaks to the great fish. He tells this great fish that it was time for him to vomit Jonah out on dry land. Where Jonah, who was either as good as dead, or actually was dead, was brought back to life. To the kindness, the graciousness, the mercy of the Lord. Now, for the maritime here, I do want to give us a few summary thoughts as it relates to repentance and faith. Which, to keep saying, this is the normal Christian life. A life of repentance and faith. Now, as I say that, I also want to keep saying that there are unique, abnormal realities to the story that are exclusive to Jonah. And to make sure we keep those realities unique to Jonah. In fact, uh, when we're going to end, we're going to end with those unique realities. And we need to keep those because if we miss out on those unique realities, we actually can miss out on the bedrock of our faith. Okay? But before we get there, let me give you three summary statements and just some thoughts for each one. which are all part of the normal Christian life that I hope that we are striving to walk in as a church. So first... Repentance and faith involves confessing sin and humbly accepting its consequences. And, and it really is both of these things. Confessing whatever sin we need to confess and being humble enough to understand and accept consequences do come with sin. Okay, let me talk about both of these factors in a sec. So first is the confess, confessing sin, which I do think we see Jonah do throughout this prayer. He's confessing sin. He's confessing sin as he cries out in distress. Now, I keep saying it, not every time we're in distress is because of sin. But when we're in distress, we do need to discern if maybe it was actually sin that put us in this place. And this is certainly true of Jonah in this story. Like, he put himself in distress in the belly of the fish. Because he was sinning. Like, he was rejecting and continuing to reject God's good command to go to Nineveh, only for him to go on the run. Verse 2, I think he's recognizing this sin. As he's confessing his sin, as he's crying out to the Lord for help. Likewise, verse 4, it feels like a confession of sin here. As Jonah cries out that it was his sin that drove him away from the presence of God. Verse 6 of our text, Jonah seems to be confessing his sin. As he testified how he went down into the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He understands it was his sin that drove him there. Verse 7, Jonah seemed to be confessing sin as his life was fainting away. At least for me, all these things, it feels like Jonah, like he's confessing his sin. And friends, confessing sin is something we all must be willing to do. Scripture is clear, for all have sinned and continue to sin. Even if we have like the most committed walk with God, unfortunately in this life, we still sin. Still, this sin is still present in this life. In fact, Scripture even tells us if we say there's no sin, we're a liar. Truth is not in us. Because sin is still present in our life, a very normal thing we are to do as Christians is simply to confess our sins to one another, to humbly do that. In fact, that's actually near the top of things we hope is present as we connect as a church. That we're humbly confessing our sins to one another. Why? So we can help each other to fight the good fight of faith against sin. Right? That should be a very normal thing that we do. As we live the normal Christian life, confessing your sin, we do so humbly understanding that sin does bring about consequences. Now, as I say that, through Jesus, there's always forgiveness of sin. And we confess our sins to God. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, which we can talk about more in just a second here. However, in this life, even though we can find forgiveness of sin, in this life, still, sin still does have consequences. And we must be humble enough to accept it. 
And maybe just to illustrate, uh, I was thinking about this week, just remember one of the thieves who hung on the cross next to Jesus? So even though he was turning to Jesus to find forgiveness, forgiveness that Jesus told him that would uh, lead him to eternal paradise with Jesus in, in life to come, yet that criminal, he understood and accepted that he was giving the just demands for his sinful deeds. Like he understood that. Back in our text today, I think Jonah has like understanding and acceptance of the consequences that can come with sin. He understood and accepted how it was his sin that put him in the place of distress into the belly of Sheol. He understood and accepted the consequences in verse sin, or in sin in verse 2 was being cast into the deep with the seas and the flood and the waves and the billows crashing around him. Verse 5, Jonah said, he seemed to accept the consequences of sin as the waters were closing over him to take his life with the deep surrounding the weeds wrapped around his head as he went into the land whose bars closed up on him. And friends, this is important. If there's genuine repentance and faith, within that there's humble acceptance of consequences that may come from our sin. Really, that's the start of our faith. The moment we first believe, we humbly accept that it was sin that separates us from the holy and just God. But even after we first believe, as we continue to struggle and fight against sin, we do so by humbly accepting that there still could be consequences in this life. Consequences look different depending on the nature and the frequency of sin. So he has to say it again. There is always forgiveness in Jesus. But in this life, there can be consequences of sin. And part of the normal Christian life is to accept consequences rather than trying to fight against them or deny them altogether. I go back to what kind of said earlier. If we can't humbly accept that there's consequences of sin, it makes it so much harder to actually fight against it in ways we're seeking to put it to death, where we can find greater and greater victory over our sin. Second, repentance and faith is turning to the Lord for hope. My friends, this is really the dividing line for mankind. Where do we turn when we sin? Where do we turn to find hope? And unless our consciences are completely seared, like all of us, we know that indeed we actually are sinners. As sinners, we can feel guilt and shame, the things that sin always brings with it. You know, really a, a real part of every religious system is trying to address guilt, shame that comes with sin, trying to find some type of hope. Even if it's not like a formal religious system, whatever religious system that a person might make up in their own heart, this is what everyone's actually trying to address. How to move away from guilt, shame, how to wash away our sin, how to find some hope. Friends, Scripture is so clear. There, there's no hope in us. There, there is nothing that you and I can do to wash away our sin. There's not enough good works. There's not enough religious deeds. There's no scales in life that we can fully tempt, to tip in ways to remove our sin. There's nothing we can do outside of turning to the Lord in hope. Trusting that the Lord indeed can and does wash away our sin as we turn to him in repentance and faith. Which, by the way, sets Christianity apart from all the religions. As Christians, we believe that God is both the just and the justifier of our sin. And because God can take away our sin, this is why we have hope. 
We have hope in the Lord, which is the model of Jonah throughout this passage. Verse 2. Jonah turned to the Lord and cried out to him in distress. That was his hope in his distress. It was the Lord. That's the one he cried out to. And friends, that's such good news. Because in the text, the Lord answered Jonah. The Lord heard his voice. Verse 4, if you're going to take your eyes back there. Even though sin drove Jonah away from God's presence, the good news is, yet, Jonah was able to find hope in the Lord. And he was able to look upon the Lord in his holy temple. Verses 5 and 6, the details of the distressing situation Jonah was in. But yet, there's such good news. Through repentance and faith, Jonah found hope in the Lord as the Lord brought up his life from the pit. Verse 7, when Jonah's life was fainting away, there was such good news for him. that He could find hope that the Lord would remember him, that through repentance and faith, his prayer would come to the Lord in his holy temple. Friends, I say, that's our hope. That's our hope when we sin. By repentance and faith in the Lord, we can find forgiveness. We can find healing. God is gracious and merciful to any and all who come to him. Whether it be come to him for the first time, which I mentioned earlier was true for the sailors in our text last time, or by faith in the hopeless situation they were in, they turned to the Lord, who justified them, which perhaps is maybe for some of you here today, for the first time, you must actually hope in the Lord. For all of those who have already been justified, which I assume is probably most of us here, friends, this is the normal Christian life for us to live, to continue by faith, to repent, to turn to the Lord when we sin, to continue to find our hope in Him. My friends say again, not only does God work at work in our lives to bring us forgiveness, but he's at work to save us, to bring us out of misery into places of hopelessness. So best friends, confess sin. Yes, accept consequences that may come with sin, but more than that, turn to the Lord in hope. Give the sin to the Lord so he could forgive you, to give you life and salvation. This is the last thing I want to say here before we close. Repentance and faith is the path of life and salvation. Friends, that's the joy of Jonah in this text. Yes, he was a sinner on the run. But as the great hound of heaven chased him and caught him, Jonah was brought into repentance and faith in the Lord. We could find life, salvation. So he's able to testify in verse 6 how the Lord brought up his life from the pit. Where Jonah is able to testify with worship and thanksgiving in verse 9. How was the Lord, his graciousness, his kindness, his mercy, that gave him salvation leading to life, as indeed salvation belongs to the Lord. For Jonah, the life and salvation that was given at the end of our text spit him back out on the dry land. Life given from death. Let's go back to what I said earlier. As much as the text communicates in normal Christian life, this is where we do need to keep this story unique here. 
primarily because how this incredible act of God in Jonah here is actually centers up to see the most gracious act of God in Jesus, who, who like Jonah died for sin, but not his sin, our sin. Where Jesus died on the cross, where Jesus died to death, we actually deserve to die. Where Jesus took on the punishment of our sin in our place. Where Jesus died and was buried in his own tomb for three days. Yet, friends, yet, on the third day, Jesus' life was given back to him. And Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And because Jesus Christ died and rose again, Jesus Christ alone, he is our great high priest, our faithful high priest, who we confess our sins to. And because Jesus died and because he rose again, Jesus alone is the means by which we come to God. Like No one can come to the Father apart from him. And because Jesus Christ died and he rose again, it is Jesus who alone gives life and salvation. Amen. Jesus says that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Friends, it is in Jesus. This is where we see the fullness of God pleased to dwell. He's the one we must continue to go back to him over and over again. Because he is our hope. And he alone is the one that we bring our joyful worship to. Worship overflowing with thanksgiving. And for us here at Redville Church, for 13 years, this is what we sought to do. This is why for 13 years we have proclaimed and we must continue to proclaim that the wooden cross, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, really means everything. Without Jesus, without he did for us on our behalf, if he did not die, rise again, not only would our church not exist, if Jesus did not die and rise again, we would have no hope. We would be stuck, dead in sin. Yet. Praise be to God. The good news is that Jesus Christ did come. He did die. He did rise again to work a great salvation, his great salvation for us. So as I close this time here, I actually want to read Ephesians 2. I just kept thinking about this passage all week as I was thinking through Jonah 2. And the death to life given to Jonah that was pointing to Christ, which actually becomes our reality as well when we turn and trust in Jesus as we're united to Christ by faith. So let me just read this. This is Ephesians 2. Maybe you can hear a little bit of Jonah 2 in this passage. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince, the power of the air. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, yet God, being rich in mercy, because of his, the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised 
us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages we might, or he might show his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This was not your own doing. This is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that none may boast. In the church, because of those rallies, we confess, verse 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, for we are now his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In the church, may we set our hearts to worship Jesus by walking in these good works, whatever they may be, whether worship, connect, grow, go. May we walk in them for years and years to come. Doing so by simply living the normal Christian life. Faithfully doing the normal Christian things. Like living a life of repentance and faith. Trusting, believing that God is indeed powerfully at work in them. Not just for our good, but also for his glory. Trusting and believing just by living the normal Christian life that's indeed how God has chosen to build his church that hell itself will not prevail against. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus died and rose again for us and for our salvation. Lord, please help us to always put our hope in Jesus. Whatever situation we're in, whether we put ourselves in it by sin or by not, that we'd always turn and continue to turn to look to Jesus, who is the great author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, thank you for 13 years of life here at Red Village. Lord, it is an incredible gift that you have given to our little church family here. And uh, Lord, we pray that you continue to give us life, that you would sustain us by your word, by your spirit, by the power of your gospel. Lord, please help us to be found faithful all the way to the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.